Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome in. This is Smashbox TV's podcast 467. And this is the third and final attempt. If this doesn't work, it's not meant to be. In fact, um, I'm going to do what I can to even work on a little bit of actual light. I'm not even going to use that microphone. That microphone doesn't even work in this setup. Um, let me see if I... I don't know why the rest of this isn't working. Uh, yeah, this is an instant classic. Yeah, that, that is one way to look at it. I don't know why my computer just shut down. No, no, there is a little less than nothing that is going right here. And I thought I actually saw while I was doing this that there was an opportunity to invite a guest. And if there's still a way for me to do that, to bring in Gannon, I will, even though I'm literally using my phone. I am giving up on all of the computers, the other things that I had happening. I'm giving up on all of those to actually work or do what I meant for them to do tonight. So let me uh, see if there's anything I can do to possibly actually invite Gannon to this. I don't think that there's going to be. What a mess. I, I know you guys wouldn't expect much else. So, <laughs> here we are. It's Podcast 467. This is going to be a short one. And I apologize to all of you. I'm going to just get right into it. Uh, Valerie Mundahano. Your champion, of course, this weekend. What I've been talking about is how epic that it was that she has just come back in the last few months. DDO, Dynamic Dis Open, was her first event back. And she had finished 10th? Uh, Somewhere in that neighborhood. I'm going to see if I can uh, bring up the information. Sorry. Um, yeah, <laughs> episode... 467.6, good call. Uh, at the 
dynamic just opened. She finished 18th, and that was in the cash. Impressive. She had, I feel like it was the first round was a decent round, and then she, you know, eventually fell off the pace a little bit from there. But impressive nonetheless for her to be back. Then she goes on to take sixth at the Des Moines Challenge. Then she takes ninth at the Preserve. She goes back to Texas to win a Live Oak event, an A-tier there. The following weekend, Mid-America, she takes fifth. Last weekend at Ledgestone, she struggled mightily and didn't cash. So she played in six events, cashed in the first five coming back, didn't cash at the pretty competitive Ledgestone event. And she mentioned in her Champions interview that she was second-guessing the idea of being out and not wanting to play and talking to her mom about being on the road and playing and battling through all of these different thoughts and feelings. And when it was all said and done, obviously it was a good idea that she ultimately still went on and played and uh, would come out victorious this weekend. Very consistent for her throughout the weekend. And as I pull up U-Disc, I wanted to take a look at what we saw. Uh, you know, and I remember talking after to her after round number two when I had said, hey, if you, if you knew, if I offered to you that you were going to shoot, I think, four strokes worse in round number two, uh, round one, she shot a five under. In round two, she shot a one under. So she shot four strokes worse, but actually still found herself on the lead, in the lead by a couple of strokes, which is incredible. So then she goes uh, on to round number three, when I do the little clicky click, uh, when we go take a look at what she did in round three, she then shot a three under. So relatively consistent uh, in shooting the five, the one, and the three, all kind of in that general neighborhood. Uh, had a really strong finish, you know, really the only mistake that she made was on hole number 17. And uh, yeah, I'm just so impressed by what we saw from her today, or I'm sorry, this weekend. And how timely, how unbelievably timely in the fact that on Monday, just yesterday, a video, the On Tour series drops, and then there's a, an entire piece on her uh, released on the Disc Golf Networks, part of the On Tour series. Honestly, I didn't get a chance to even watch it all yet. I've seen the trailer, and I'm super excited to go and consume it. I have not uh, previewed it. I haven't had any kind of uh, special insight to it whatsoever, and quite frankly, I haven't had the time, even if I did. But pretty cool to win an event, and then the very next day, a video comes out that talks about an injury and then coming back from said injury. It's it's unbelievable, as Tim jokes and says, uh, the DGPT is scripted. It almost feels as if it would be, right, at that point? Uh, and I'm sorry, I'm going to take a brief moment to message Gannon Burr, who's been very patient and waiting. I told him this was a mess, and I uh, don't know if... Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sending him a message... Uh, Um, so, 
congratulations, needless to say, congratulations to Valerie Mondahano. What an incredible performance. I feel like we've been talking about both Valerie and Alexis more so in the last few weeks as well. We saw Alexis break out, have a good weekend or a good start to her weekend at Ledgestone. She slowed down a little bit, but then did have a really good start uh, to her weekend. So very impressive. And then as I uh, will go ahead and just read down the list real quick, Owen Scoggins miss, misses Miss Consistency. Uh, it feels like we see her on or near the podium just about every single weekend, it feels like. And it feels like she's always, uh, I don't want to even just say battling back, but she's just always there in that conversation. We haven't seen her, you know, take down a big Elite Series event. Something like this weekend, the Deglo, not necessarily in her favor in terms of the raw distance and power that's needed at a place like that. But I, we continue to say that, and then she continues to finish like second and third, right? So she's she's not getting over the hump to get the win, but the fact that she's right there knocking on the door, uh, I think is is awesome to see for sure. So Owen Scoggins in second, Holland Hanley ultimately finishes in solo third. And then a tie for fourth, uh, Missy Gannon, of course, and uh, Madison Walker. A couple of cool stories there in the fact that Missy obviously was very competitive for back-to-back -back weekends, coming off of a big Ledgestone win, and her putting looked so solid yet again. You, you wouldn't have been surprised if Missy would have gone on to take it down throughout the weekend, so very solid performance there. And then maybe one of the I, I, I hate to call it a breakout story of the weekend, but certainly one of the storylines of the weekend is seeing what Madison Walker did. First round, uh, I think she shot the hot round at six under, uh, was your outright leader. The first time she shot the hot round since the 2021 U.S. Women's. She's obviously been busy touring and golfing and, and being on the road doing Jomez commentary as part of the Two Hot Geese. Is busy as busy gets, and uh, you know, so it was great to see her kind of pop off, so to speak, and have such a solid performance. She had a really, really tough time out there during the second round, so that was tough to watch. Um, you know, just didn't get any breaks, so to speak, but also just seemed as if she was a bit off. And you know, we were walking down the fairway of hole number one. And she's like, I, I, I don't believe this. I don't believe this. I'm like, why? She's like, I'm just, she's like, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm really nervous. Like, kind of really nervous. And she's like, oh, you got this. You're fine. And, you know, you, I guess you take for granted. You think of her as someone who's on camera or, or on audio and, and doing various video and clearly is, you know, comes across as very approachable and having a really good time. But, you know, all eyes are on you when you're leading a tournament. And it's just not a position she's been in in quite some time. So uh, when it was all said and done, you know, great to see her step up and have a solid weekend. And she also was coming off of a really frustrating time at Ledgestone. So I think that was kind of an interesting takeaway that both women, both Valerie and Madison, both had terrible weekends, per their words, had terrible weekends the weekend before at the Ledgestone and then and we're second guessing golf and and their desires and everything else about playing golf and then all of a sudden uh, they both find themselves performing very well at this particular event. Valerie finished in 30th and Madison finished in 35th. Uh, they were they were four strokes apart from one another 
uh, at that event. Um, I mean, 30th out of 48 for Valerie and Madison then was, what would I say, 30, 35th out of 48. So certainly not inspiring performances, uh, needless to say, to go over then to the Idlewild course. And then quickly, also, we have to touch on uh, Cadence Berg, Burge, Cadence Burge. First name and second and last name uh, you have to think about for just a moment. And the more you think about them, the more you then probably screw them up. Cadence Burge. We saw her two out of three rounds. I mean, what what a, an opportunity to be on camera. You know, she's she's been good, clearly. She's obviously a good player. There's Am Worlds footage of her. Uh, she was at you know your champion at the NADGT last year. I'm not second guessing any of her skill sets, but there is something to be said about getting those reps in in front of a camera, in front of a gallery. No matter how good you are, I mean, like everything I just said about Madison, who has been on tour for eight, nine, ten years now. The fact that she's nervous in front of a gallery as well. So great to see Cadence. Uh, I there's no doubt we're gonna see more of her. I mean, if she sticks with disc golf, she's clearly proven very quickly that to the world that she has the skills. And she made a post on Instagram. I don't have it in front of me at the moment, but it was something about a bunch of her first this weekend and how good she felt about this weekend when it was all said and done. And I I just can't say enough about the growth and the maturity and everything that she's gonna continue to go through. I just Again, keep in mind, everyone, she is 16 years old, and there's so much golf and so much life and so much ahead of her, including some of the struggles that maybe a Gannon Burr or a little bit of a Cole Radalin and some of these other uh, MPO players, we and a, and a Kyle Klein, some of these young MPO players that have seen some success already at a an amateur or even a professional level and then still have to close out high school and just where your mind is when you're thinking about, you know, Cadence, uh, when it was all said and done, I'm going to guess took over a thousand dollars. If I, if I could quickly get there, I'm guessing took over a thousand dollars this last weekend. And, um, you know, that's not life-changing money. We all know that. Well, maybe for some it is, it doesn't feel like life-changing money. But the fact that she tied for sixth and took home $1,317, like 16-year-olds are working a lot of hours at Subway, like me, or wherever, to earn $1,317. And now there's expenses, blah, blah, blah. I get all that. But the point is, knowing where professional disc golf can now take you, it's got to be that much tougher uh, to keep your focus, depending on what some of your goals and aspirations are. But knowing that the second highest grossing player in all of disc golf as of a few days ago is Kristen Tatar uh, of, of this year, of 2023. Let me be very clear. The highest grossing uh, FPO competitor, highest grossing, second highest grossing uh, from tournament earnings player was Kristen Tatar. Now, I think this last week can probably shook things up a little bit maybe maybe not uh but she's in the top two or three regardless even after this weekend even though she wasn't here so clearly that's got to be a little bit exciting for um for the 16 year old so congratulations to her as well 
Uh, rounding out our top 10 real quick, uh, Sarah Holcomb, who we haven't heard a ton of uh, from this year, but Sarah Holcomb came out and uh, birdied three, two out of the last four holes to find herself in that tie for six along with Cadence. Uh, Luke Lorenzen uh, really struggled during that final round ultimately, but finished tied for six. Hannah Wynn. Uh, who we saw perform very well back at the North Cove event um, and, and is trying to keep things rolling. She finished tied for ninth. And uh, Chantel Budinsky, uh, Miss Frisbees, as you would find her on Instagram, hailing out of Canada, uh, also having one of her better finishes as well. So a couple of our international players in Luque and Chantel, Excuse me, both tie, or I'm sorry, uh, Luke taking six, Chantel taking tied for ninth. And then also tying for ninth was Cat Merch. So, pretty cool. Congrats to all of them. Um, and then as I scroll down just a little bit more, I'm seeing um, some of our uh, Throw Pink Women's Disc Golf Championship qualifiers. And I wanted to look down to see who else that we had qualifying this last weekend. And it's not as easy. Oh, there we go. It's a, it's a little easier for me to tell now. Uh, Cadence qualified. I don't know. Again, come schooling. I don't know if that's something that she's focused on. Uh, but she was the qualifier from this weekend. It looks like she got the one spot that was available. All right. I'm sorry. I'm not able to keep up with your comments as, as easily as normal. Um, and I don't know why my, my lights. Oh, my light's not doing much work back there. <laughs> it's been a long day. Uh, I'll talk about that more in a minute. All right, let's jump over to the MPO side. Again, I I made graphics. Everything I did today had Gannon Burr lined up, so it is frustrating that the system ultimately didn't work to get Gannon in here tonight. I'm going to have to get it figured out because the Disc Golf Guys channel wants to do a ton of podcasts, and I'm going to have to get it figured out at some point, but tonight apparently is not going to be the night. Your champion, Gannon Burr, no surprises there. You guys knew that. It's insane start, six for six, uh, eight down after nine holes. I mean, I, and I wasn't trying to be dismissive in any way by saying he started out just like Cole Rodallin did at Ledgestone. Like, you wondered if they're going to falter. You wonder if there's going to be any chance of pressure or them cracking, maybe more so on Cole because he hasn't won as often or at all at that level. And then he started out Ledgestone, what did he get? The first four, five, seven in a row, whatever it was. Seven, I think seven in a row, eight in a row, whatever it was. Like, and you just thought, oh, hey, okay, you're not going to be beat today. Because <laughs> if you birdie every hole and you have the lead or you birdie damn near every hole, that's just not giving a lot of opportunities. And that's exactly how I felt Gannon set that tone. Um, when you just come out and just start birdieing everything, everyone on the on the card no matter what kind of day you're hoping to have, everyone on the card's like, even if I birdie everything and keep up with him, I'm still going to lose to him because he came in with the lead. I mean, I think that's how math works. So very, very impressive to see what Gannon did. Uh, kept it bogey-free during that round. And uh, awesome to see. Shoots the 12-under. There was a 14-under that was shot earlier in the day by Michael uh, Micah Groth. Uh, he shot a 14-under. Then we heard some other hot scores. Ricky Wysocki ultimately came in with a 13. I think Ben Calloway had a 12 as well. Maybe a 13, but I think Ben had a 12. Um, actually, it wouldn't take much just to make a click here to tell you guys. Uh, Yuli ended up having a really good weekend for himself. Big shout-out to him. He shot a 13. 
And Nico LaCastro had a 13 along with Waisaki, who I mentioned a moment ago. Callaway had a 13, not a 12. And then uh, Gannon's 12. Kyle Klein battled back with a 12. Ezra Robinson battled back with a 12. Heimberg had an 11 under. And Matt Bell, Tim Barham, Casey White all had 11s. And then there was a slew of 10. Zach Arlinghouse, Connor O'Reilly, Luke Humphreys, James Conrad, and Nate Hecker. All with 10s. So, pretty pretty impressive uh, as to what we saw there, for sure, uh, by so many of those players who, you know, those were some great scoring conditions. And then it's like as if they basically got the track fully figured out on that final round. Uh, congratulations to those solid rounds. So, Burr takes it down. Uh, I should mention Valerie Mondahano won seven grand for first. And first place for Gannonburg, $10,000. Not a bad paycheck. I mean, uh, you know, I'm not going to go all old school on you, but $10,000 for a big win, for a win, was huge money. Not, not too many years ago. Like, it was unheard of. There was USDGC paid out ten grand, And now it's on the regular. And that, to me, is, uh, it continues to be wild. And you'd think I'd get over it because I've been around and watching disc golf and part of disc golf for almost 30 years, more than 30 years. No, it's still wild to me. 10 grand would be like a medium to slow season for a pro. And now the likes of Gannon are taking 10 grand for first on a weekend. Valerie taking 7 grand. Kelvin Heinberg took second. He took sixty-seven fifty, so almost that same seven grand. It's 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 an it's incredible. So moving on, second place, Kelvin Heinberg uh, finished uh, two behind when it was all said and done. Two behind Gannon Burr, uh, two behind him, Isaac Robinson, a previous champion of this event. We mentioned Yuli, who shot the thirteen that doubled his score. He was at thirteen under, shoots a thirteen under to get to 26 on the weekend. That ties him with Kyle Klein, who has won this event in extra holes in the past. So uh, solid finish there for Kyle. LaCastro, as I said, uh, shot a pretty hot score. He jumped up into a 25 under. So he takes sixth by himself. That's, I'm guessing that's going to be Nico's, one of Nico's larger paydays of the week, of the year. That's $2,200. And uh, his biggest, that's a good pull. His biggest paycheck of the year so far, $2,200. Uh, Nico LaCastro for the year has won $15,000, but $2,200 coming in just this last weekend. And the weekend before at Ledgestone, he took home $1,400. So uh, pretty impressive. Um, and as I mentioned, Nate Hecker, who I did not get a chance to really get to know, uh, probably even as intimately as some of you guys did, depending on what was all done on the coverage. Uh, but Nate Hecker had a good weekend, and I believe it was Corey Ellis that was on his bag, or at least Corey Ellis made a post about how impressed he was and how proud he was of Nate Hecker. So uh, you're in good company if Corey Ellis is giving you those kind of props. Tying Nate Hecker was uh, Matty O, and then Kevin Jones, who you know hasn't been a big contender in a, in a lot of events as of late and then the fact that we saw him uh bust out where he did this weekend was pretty pretty cool to see 
I'm looking at some of his previous finishes. You know, he struggled mightily at the preserve. Uh, Ledgestone, he did finish in 11th, and then this was a 7th place finish. Um, finished 28th at the Major over there in uh, Europe. And then the weekend before that, he played in Sula, where he didn't cash. He took 51st. So Kevin Jones, you know, has won $18,000 on the year. Uh, comes in rated 1026 and uh, has a U.S. Tour rank of 13th. But pretty cool. So good to see Kevin Jones. And and I and I know we're talking about a bunch of the top players in the world anyway. So just by them again, the math will work out this way. But when you think about champions of this event and then seeing some of them perform well, especially in the final round or two. Uh, he, it's a lot of those previous champions. When I talk about Isaac Robinson, Kyle Klein has won this, Kevin Jones has won this, and uh, and James Conrad, who had his best round, saved his best round for last, he's won this in the past. So four of your champions kind of uh, up there all in the top 14. Then again, it keeps producing a new winner every year. So eventually, when we have 22 different winners, it's going to be all of the top 22 players in the world. And it's just going to be all of them with nobody on repeat. So that's what you had. Uh, congratulations. And um, thanks. Anyway, let me just thank uh, Gannon. I don't know if you're watching, but thank you for your patience. I'm sorry that this was a big pain and, and a struggle. Uh, I was going to see if I if there was a button to click on to possibly still get you to join. But at this point, I don't really want to mess it up. I've had two failed attempts as it is already tonight. Both times, it started, the stream started off fine. And then just out of nowhere, it went to die on me. Um, you know, you guys could talk about it. Uh, Daniel on the, on the chat says, Ganon is the best player on the planet right now. There's a lot of people that um, wouldn't disagree with you. I mean, that that's a solid argument to be made. Um, he, you know, he's got three Elite Series wins and two Silver Series wins. They're Silver Event wins. Uh, and then, you know, you I, I think the stat the stat Mando comparison to him was with was with Kelvin Heimberg. And it really came down to one word, which was a little bit of consistency. And Calvin has an average finish of like 3.6, and Gannon's is like 9 or 10, an average finish. But Gannon has, you know, more Ws. I don't know. I, I, that's for everyone else to debate. I know both of them on any given weekend, you know, and what they can do. And we're going to continue to see what they can do. Um, it's going to be It's going to be wild. And then, you know, with, with the majors rolling around the USDGC, Worlds, you know, sometimes uh, a Macbeth, you know, uh, finds an extra gear to kick it into, but um, him dealing with his injury. Similarly, on the FPO side, you know, I don't think we're going to see Paige really much this year. If I was doing the math on the injury update from last week and then thinking about how that plays out and how many more weeks that means for I don't I don't know if we're gonna see a page, you know, in the remainder of this year, or if we do, if it's for one final event or not, and if that's even worth pushing. Uh, I think that'll be one of the biggest questions. Is she, let's just say she's healthy and fully ready to go a week before throw pink, or seemingly fully healthy and ready to go. Is is that an event that she pushes for to get back and get one more event in yet this year, 
or does she ride it out and, and take no chances on a full recovery? Those are some of the things to think about. Um, I don't know if there's anything else that jumps out on the MPO side. I'm going to scroll down real quick and see if there's anything else. Coaling had a good weekend. Uh, it seems like Yuli and Coaling uh, both found themselves having good weekends. Maybe it's some of that commentator, uh, that commentator love. Uh, I saw early in the weekend that Nate Sexton was, I felt like struggling. And then as I, I, I take a look for him, I find him in a tie for 30th along with Randon Lada and Evan Scott. Nope, sorry, Evan got him. So uh, Chandler Kramer, Chris Dickerson, Brad Schick, Grady Shue, Randon Lada, and Nate Sexton, and Evan Smith all tied. So what a what a tie that was. Holy cow. Down there in 30th place. Okay. Uh, yeah, Nate's first time at Idlewild, as Tim is saying. And real quick, uh, a couple shout-outs. Some major shout-outs. Uh, Tim, I saw. Tim, I got to send you the picture, and I'll post it as well. Tim, one of the most devout smashies and just all-around supporters, most importantly. Uh, Tim Quartz, who's on the board. Thank you so much, Tim. It was great seeing you out there this weekend. I think you were spotting, I think you said you were spotting all three days, even though I only saw you one. I don't know what you were doing. Uh, but I did see Tim out there. I managed to get a little smashy selfie with him. So good to see Tim. Uh, huge shout out to Logan, who for five out of six rounds was carrying around my backpack to make things a little bit more uh, tolerable throughout the weekend. The the heated, heavy backpack that we are carrying around to do the sideline commentary, and then also for the final, for the very final round on the MPO side, because Logan wanted to go swim for discs to return them to players, so he went swimming as the players got through hole five, and uh, Gerald was on my bag, uh, on 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 my bag, on the bag, on the bag, whatever you want to call it. He was carrying around the backpack for the entire final round. So good to see you, Tim. Logan, thank you so much. Five out of six rounds he carried it, and Gerald stepped in on the final round. So I, I want to make sure I say thank you to all of you guys uh, for seeing you. And then just the countless volunteers and spotters and the the insane amount of people that wanted either pictures or autographs or whatever. I say it every single weekend. Um, I, I, I'm so blessed and humbled by all of you guys. To be able to see so many of you in person on a weekend like this is absolutely awesome. And um, I had a lot of fun with it. So thank you, Daniel. Uh, Tim says 250 volunteers. Uh, that doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, and that's what it takes for you guys to have an event of that caliber run as smoothly as it does. Weather and everything else can you know in consideration. It doesn't surprise me to see that many people. And just the way that the entire Cincinnati, Idlewild area just turns out uh, for the golf year in and year out has been absolutely awesome. Um, did the Death Hornet attack victim end up okay? Excuse me. Uh, it, many of you heard some squealing is really the best word, or screeching and blood-curdling scream. Um, that took place while our competitors, our lead card was on the TF12. And I was all the way down the fairway on 12, way down on the new fairway of 12. So I didn't hear it as clearly. I heard, I was hearing production in my, my good ear. <laughs> and then in my right ear, I barely hear anything. And multiple people were then talking about it. And 
what it ended up being the case was the fact that there was a, a hornet or or a set of hornets, I'm not sure, that had apparently found a, a younger child. And understandably, they, they um, didn't take too well to being stung. So I don't know any more details. Um, somebody, somebody on the internets did say that it may have been a nephew of Kevin Jones or nephews possibly of Kevin Jones, regardless of who it was. I don't want to say it doesn't matter because the, 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 the fact that it happened is what mattered. And um, sorry to anyone. Um, yeah. Yellow jackets, hornets. Um, nonetheless, not fun. I, 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 in a sense, I'm glad I couldn't hear it as clearly as some of the others did. Uh, because it's, I don't, I hate the idea of thinking about it, especially, I don't like the pain, but thinking about a, even my 12 and 14 year old daughters, it really, just no one wants to get stung like that. So um, hopefully everybody's okay and everybody's good to go. John says, Terry, great work on the Holy Shot documentary. Well, thank you. Um, I can't speak to it too much other than I've heard that it's out and it's out for public consumption. It's been a long time since I watched it and... Uh, now I kind of have this notion of going and watching it myself uh, again, simply because uh, how could you ever get sick of that story, quite honestly? All right. Uh, a couple of things I want to touch on. It is on DGN, but now it's also released, I think, exclu uh, not exclusively. It's now released fully on a YouTube channel somewhere. Is it, I don't know. If, uh, I, I'm going to sound silly that I don't know this. I don't know if it's the Disc Golf Pro Tour... Uh, YouTube, uh, that's where I'm heading right now to look for it, or if it's on the PDGA's YouTube, or both, uh, I see Mandahano uh, on tour, uh, oh, that is a 20 minute video, I did not, 28, sorry, minute video, I didn't realize it was that long, so I definitely didn't get a chance to take it all in. Yeah, I'm looking through it, and uh, it looks like it's probably on the PDGA, which I believe is at PDGA Media on YouTube. PDGA Media. So I think somebody stole the PDGA. <laughs> One, yeah, the Holy Shot is out there right now, uh, 12 days ago released. So, oh, should I just stream it? Should we have a watch party? It's an hour and 26 minutes. Uh, so that is available completely free now to watch. Uh, 66,000. I, I don't even want to click on it because I don't want to get caught up in reading any of the uh, the comments or anything else. Because I can only imagine there's... There might be a lot of great comments. There also might be a lot of really dumb ones. Like, uh, yeah, you're not getting my internet voice yet. But stick around. It might show up. So anyway, glad. Thank you. Thank you for any kind words I may have gotten. Uh, Lunchbox uh, Studios or Lunchbox Productions had put that together. And um, yeah, I, I kind of do want to go watch it again um, the more that I think about it. All right, um, let's quickly... Uh, I, I'm just going to quickly uh, pivot into postulating. I don't know if that's quite the right word. About uh, ledge, or wow, uh, it's the Ledgestone group running the D Glow this weekend. Uh, Nate Heinold and, and a lot of his crew and 
a lot of similar people that are involved with Ledgestone are now also hosting and of course presented by Discraft and all that good stuff but uh, it's a lot of the a similar group and that's why I may inadvertently refer to that as Ledgestone. Um, Bert Kreischer is going to be there. I, I know that you guys saw some information about that. I don't know all of the details to it myself. I know it's, I know this might sound funny, but it's as legitimate and fancy as like some of the emails that are going back and forth are talking about, uh, are talking with his agent or publicist or whatever he might be, uh, his official title, but they're involved even to that degree, to that extent. So yes, Bert obviously is a big fan of disc golf and has uh, made constant posts and, and references and kind of spreads the word of it for us. And then also there was a little preview clip of sorts that was made uh, that he's doing in terms of teaming up with Led with Deglo and uh, everyone over there. Um, and I don't know what I can or can't tell you because I honestly I don't know what's public or not. And I'm not trying to, to tease you guys. But I, I feel like there was a couple special initiatives or, or things that were taking place in terms of things he's going to be involved with. And it's just what, to me, my takeaway, the little bit I, I read of it uh, within there, knowing I'm not going to physically be there, is it's interesting to have a, a full-blown celebrity. Um, and you may like or not Bert's comedy or humor or his style, whatever. But he's a legitimate celebrity. And then to know there's still agreements, obligations, um, there's still uh, boundaries that have to be adhered to. And I think that's kind of what was getting laid out in some of the, the messaging that was going back and forth as to exactly what he'd be available for, what, when he would be where and what that exactly means. And I was going to look for you guys to see if anything of it was public. But uh, I don't know where that email has gone. Bert Kreischer on the broadcast. Um, you know, things like ceremonial first throws has been have been done in the past. Um, we've seen that in a few things. There's There's a lot of different things. He may... Be involved directly or indirectly in the broadcast in terms of how cool would it be if he was you know possibly you know on on communications with us if he became some form of sideline reporter for a few holes um there I, I don't know where it's all i don't know that it's all been settled but i know there are contracts agreements stipulations boundaries all of those types of things that have gotten us uh, to that point. So Burt Kreischer, that's K-R-E-I-S-C-H-E-R. If you're not familiar with him, again, that's fine. Not everyone's a comedian um, or is into comedy, I should say. Uh, he does popular podcasts. He's on a number of different things. And then he ha has had a pretty successful, uh, very large tour that he's been on. And I think he's planning on touring again next year. Uh, if And if you have no idea who I'm talking about, um, the way that I quickly learned of him was, uh, he was the guy that always got on stage and I felt like almost instantly just took off his shirt <laughs> while he did his comedy routine. And, uh, I'm not going to say he's built like me, but not far off. I'm sure he's more ripped than I am, but so anyway, he's there, uh, 
yeah, have a good time with it. Um, I don't know how to pronounce his his buddy Tom's last name, who's a fellow comedian who does the podcast with him, Segura. Yeah, there it is. It was spelled incorrectly. Tom Segura um, is a uh, uh, another guy that he also does the uh, Two Bears One Cave podcast with Segura. Yeah, so you and you may or may not be familiar with him. Again, depending on where you are on the comedy scene, that's fine. Uh, there's plenty. Of Plenty of comedians that I may either know or recognize by by either their jokes and or by uh, the, their face, but not necessarily remember their name. And I think that's easy to do because sometimes you can go to a comedy show and you might see anywhere from two to nine comics in a night. And so it can be difficult, I feel like, to remember their names more so. I don't know why that is. So. All right, that was a random tangent, but look for that. Somebody asked, I think, something about where will I be this weekend. I am tomorrow in, uh, I don't know, four, 14 or 18 hours, 16 hours, I am flying to Bend. So I will, as usual, take a leg to Denver from Milwaukee, from, uh, from then Denver into Bend, Redmond technically. I always say Bend. It's Redmond, which is about 30 minutes away from Bend, but it's the only real airport. So you'll fly, I'll fly into Redmond, and then uh, we'll be ready to go bright and early. Four rounds for this playoff event, uh, which means very early mornings for me. So if you know me, you know that I'm typically more, much more of a night person. And this this final stretch of the season is going to be a, a challenge for me. And I'll have to adapt, and I always do, so I'm not complaining. But every time there's an event on the east coast and just to set up the time frame if there's an event on the east coast and we're going live at roughly 9 15 eastern that means that 6 15 pacific time that we're live and talking which means they want us in our seats with headsets on ready to talk about the day at 5 15 which means even with a five minute drive that means i'm up at about 4 30. 4.30 to leave by 5 to be like fully ready in a chair at 5.15 to then go live at 6.15. Now, yes, I get done earlier in the day. You're right. That doesn't excite me. <laughs> um, getting done early does nothing for me on a personal level because I have a hard time shutting down at night. That's That's where the challenge comes in. So if we're thinking ahead a little bit, Four days of D-Glow, and this isn't a complaint, but four days of D-Glow, four days of MVP, four days of the U.S. Women's Championship, and four days of the Tour Championship. There's 16 days uh, where that will be my schedule. And then the other event among all of those that I didn't mention include the USDGC, which I'll physically be at, so I can get up a little later, and then uh, I'll also be at the Worlds. Same thing, I'll be able to get up later. And uh, so that's just one of the minor challenges to being in Bend. Uh, however, I am excited to be in the booth. I believe at least this weekend, the schedule has myself, along with Valerie, who just had uh, their baby boy a few weeks ago. Congratulations yet again to them. But Valerie and then Zoe, so they will both be in the booth with, uh, they'll be our color commentators. I will be the host. Yeah, I know, suck it up, Dan says. And then um, the uh, afternoons, at least for this weekend, I believe it's going to be a Nate, 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 Terry, Nate sandwich. 
Nate Doss, Nate Saxon, and myself. I believe that's how it's going to go down this weekend. And let me just say it for the sake of saying it. A, I'm not complaining about my times. I wouldn't say I'm not a morning person. I'm just so much more a night person. Like, I don't feel like I'm cranky or terrible or miserable or, or inoperable at those times in the morning. You're just, you are a hundred times more likely to find me still awake at 6 a.m. than ever getting up at 6 a.m. Or find me more awake at 5 a.m. from the night before than ever setting an alarm and being up at 6. So when you're talking about a 4.15, 4.30 start, things get a little rougher. All right. I'm going to kind of mix together an after show with the regular show because this is all one jacked up podcast as it already is. Uh, so with that, I want to quickly get a, a plug in. I'm not paid by them, um, but I am at home. So I did want to uh, partake. This weekend, I found myself with one of these. Well, okay, a four pack. This is a, a, a Founders, which many of you know from Michigan, Grand Rapids. Shout out to Kyle Klein, who isn't old enough to drink. Uh, this is a Founders KBS, but a chocolate cherry Imperial Stout aged in bourbon barrels. Yes, please. Delicious. That That is absolutely my speed and my style. And uh, a couple others that have yet to make it to the fridge for when they're ready. If you ever get a chance... Mm, you're not going to be able to see that real. Central Waters. This is anniversary edition. 25th anniversary. Malt beverage aged in oak bourbon barrels brewed in Amherst, Wisconsin. Mm, yes, please. Uh, and they support disc golf. They have discs. Um, very, very, very... Uh, key component to the uh, central Wisconsin disc golf scene as well. Okay. Um, yes, you know what? You guys were just talking about Brixton, or somebody just asked about Brixton boxes. I have a whole Brixton box right here. I have yet to open the box, which then contains boxes. I don't know if I want to do that. I don't want to open the, the actual disc yet. That's going to be a whole, or I'm sorry, the actual boxes of them. That's going to be an entire video that I'm going to put together. So um, just know that I did finally get around to, somehow it slipped my mind, and I got around to ordering some Brixton boxes. I see all the excitement. It's unbelievable uh, what's been going on with all the cards running around and all the one-of-ones and the, the just all the different uh, differentiations, the different ones that are available. Absolutely awesome. So... I'm excited to open mine, but it's <laughs> with my schedule. We're going to have to see exactly when that's going to happen. But uh, I think I can get maybe even a couple different camera angles, and uh, I'm going to do a really good job with trying to open those and partake in all that madness. So thank you for the people that have tagged me or have um, you know, showed their overall excitement. Uh, Johnny and I and so many in the media all very excited to have any part in being uh, part of those releases for this year. 
All right, I can start officially in whatever capacity you'd like. I could try and run through any questions that you guys might have. Uh, this is kind of unofficially the regular show after show combo. So if there's stuff that you guys would like to talk about, put it in the chat. It's It scrolls a little quicker. Maybe I can pull it up here. It scrolls a little bit quicker than uh, it typically does because I am... Uh, <laughs> All the work I did, so much work, so much preparation to use all the fancy right equipment, and now here I am plugged into my phone and just going straight phone tonight. So that's uh, certainly frustrating. Watch out, Kyle Klein. Okay. Uh, Terry, you got an ace on YouTube from that guy who steals everyone else's aces uh, and releases them. Oh, yeah, great. That's that's nice of them. His 100 Ace video has you in it. Oh, okay. So he steals. Okay, so he, yeah, the Ace that I had. Go figure. Um, again, I know everyone can say it's easy, it's no big deal. It's exposure. That's what they would say. There's there's some, in some magic world, there's a, a place for, you know, highlights and compilations and things of that nature. I get all of that. Um, but it also, I've said it countless times, it feels really dirty knowing how much work goes into a video and video production to then have someone just go out and take a video you've made and then steal it. Especially when you think about the hundreds of hours in terms of filming, editing, and producing a video and the hundreds of hours you put into it to maybe capture one ace every few months or maybe one ace a year, whatever the number is. And then another channel just grabs it. Like, again, I get it. But when you make that, you feel different about it. And I shouldn't allegedly feel any different about it, but I do. It doesn't rub me right. Uh, where's the studio in Bend? Um, it's at Nate and Val's house. I'm not doxing them, but it's at their house. It's been at the, it was at Bevel for the longest time in one of their additional office rooms and then it's worked out better that it's been literally literally in their house uh is which is where it's located what's your opinion of the round of uh okay that's a good question what's your opinion on the end of round two for mpo <laughs> do you think stereo audio will catch on or is it just a fad uh <laughs> um that was wild I mean, I'm not going to lie. It was one of the more wild things I've ever seen. And I had called it on hole nine. I said, we're not going to finish this round. It's just a matter of when does it get called. And the fact that it, the way I, I understand it, because I was down near the green of 16, nearly a thousand feet from the tee. I knew that the chase card had just come off hole 18 because I was on U-Disc and I knew that they were done. And the chase card, or I'm sorry, the lead card was just getting to 16's T. And the horn had blown. And then it sounds as if the conversation that took place near the T, a thousand feet away from me, uphill, was that the players basically said, hey, we're, uh, for lack of a better term, we want to appeal or petition the idea that it's, it's way less fair for us to get up in the morning to completely like completely jack up their day to get up in the morning 
to come play two holes to jack up our entire day and everything else that goes along with it, we would rather play in the dark and suffer those consequences of not being able to see as well, whatever. That's the way that it was basically conveyed to me. And they wanted to play. And I and I, I don't think that can be stressed enough. And and uh, somebody, GPO Studios, is on, on here saying, uh, I was at the tee. The group wanted to play. Christine made the phone call and begrudgingly allowed them. And I can't say that enough. And I, and I want that narrative to be out there. The players 100% wanted that. It was, it, it was the PDGA and or the Pro Tour that said, hey, it's time to call it. And it was the players that wanted to push forward, saying they accept all consequences of, of playing in the dark. And, you know, it's funny because somebody said later, like, would, would that have ever been petitioned or talked about or, or been a discussion 10 years ago or 20 years ago? Maybe some of your old school players, would they have been like, yep, that's, that's just what we're going to do. And, and was there any bit of youthfulness that kind of had, I don't, I don't want to call it young and dumb, but as a cliche or as a, as just a phrase, was there any of that youthful mentality of like, no, 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 let's just fight through this. And I I was shocked. I was honestly shocked, but that's what I want to make sure to continue to convey and let the world know is that the the they had said excuse me they had said that you know we're we're good with calling it we'll come back out and it was the players themselves now we could have a big discussion about should they have forced them i think that's the number one discussion that needs to be had should the officials have forced them and said no 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 we we do or don't care what you want we need to call it um you know, you look at it, let's just use one comparison. You may say the horn blows in terms of a rain or lightning delay, and the players say, oh, no, 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 we want to play. We're, we're going to accept, you know, we're going to accept our, our fate, and we take full responsibility. If we get hit by lightning, we get hit by lightning. Well, that's similar but different for a number of reasons. But one of the biggest reasons to me was the fact that um, it was a different type of safety concern, if any. There was a different type of concern, and secondly, they were the last foursome on the uh, on the on the entire course. So when you compare that to having forty or fifty or a hundred people on a course or whatever the number is, and you compare that to them being the last foursome and them feeling like it was more of a disadvantage to come back out the next morning than to suffer the consequences of playing in the dark. I, I don't know. Um, here's what I will say. And this is nothing more than pure speculation. I think there will be a stricter, more defined policy as a result of this. Whatever it is. And maybe they say, uh, stricter is not the right word. There will be a more specific policy. And maybe they say if the group agrees to it, they can move forward or what. however it gets worded, I don't know. But I think there will be a more clear and concise policy for situations. Now, this may never happen again the rest of our lives. I mean, 
truth be told, we were at a throw down the mountain, or or if it was the the one time we did in October, the monster on the mountain. But we were at the Paul Macbeth Dillon C's property, the the Grand Canyon course, and I remember one of the final nights due to rain delays and everything else that also finished in the dark and at the time headlights and other things were considered and it was pitch black i mean i i would say even darker than what we saw at idlewild that was years ago and and it wasn't on the pro tour and it was very different so i, I it's obviously rare that any of this happens and then it does come down to who gets to make that call who makes the final decision who can be overruled? Who can't? Those are all things that I think need to be part of that conversation. It was a wild experience. I had no problem when everybody said, have you ever seen anything like this? Have you ever seen the glow disc? And I, I had to remind them. And I don't, it's not in here. Damn it. That would have been the move. I'm the 2008 glow world champion. I'm just saying. 2008 glow world champion. I'm not scared to play in the dark. Uh, it was the World Championships in 2008 that took place in the Kalamazoo, Michigan area. I think it was a Friday night, which shows how much of a life I have. Uh, but they hosted Glow Worlds, a, a Glow Worlds, uh, which wasn't even sanctioned, technically. Um, that was before things like, I think even X-tiers or D-tiers existed or whatever. Um, but... That was also obviously intentional in the way that it was set up and so on and so forth. Uh, and I, I, I shot an incredible round. I forgot what it was, but it was an incredible round. I think I won by four or five uh, in the open division on my favorite course, as WT Force Wade will attest, playing at Colebrook Park, which is all very short, very technical, all 200-foot turnovers with a million trees. Uh, so anyway... I didn't want to hear it when it came to people talking about playing in the dark, but yeah, it it was wild. Uh, I don't know what the world really thought of it. I guess I, I didn't go to the Reddits or the, the Facebooks and look for too much, um, too much feedback, but I'm sure it was all over the board. And for the most part, I would think it landed on the side of they were the only four on the course, and if they wanted to push forward, more power to them. I would assume that's where most of the the public, um, you know, the uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Public opinion probably landed. But it does bring up some other questions. And then I think it brings up another question of, you know, they got to 16 specifically. Like 13 and 14, 12 a little. 13 and 14 somewhat wooded, 13, 14, 15 somewhat wooded, then you get to 16, looked nothing like 13's green. Like 16's tee, even though it was much later, looked nothing like 13's green because there was, it just was wide open. As you know, it's 1,000 feet with only a few trees at the basket. So, I don't know. Um... I think there is a great debate to be had, uh, and if if any official policy comes as a result of it, I, I will be sure to report back as best as I can. And the question was, was there spotters? Yeah, there were a few volunteers that were still out there, Tim being one of them, but there were volunteers that were out there, and then, honestly, a number of the, the spectators that were along, 
were ready to, you know, kind of anxiously ready to be there to spot. I think because somewhat of the nuance of it, like they, it was this weird, exciting thing that was happening. So you could say, hey, I'll run down the fairway. I'm going to hide behind a tree. And uh, if, if I hear or see something, I will then be able to help spot it. So, yeah, you, it's certainly unique. Uh, I, I don't think anyone can say about that. I'd love to hear what you guys think. Like, do you vehemently agree or disagree with how it was handled? Um, you know, that's funny. Tim says, Jomez had zero coverage of it. Yeah. Um, and, and quite frankly, I'm surprised that uh, Ian and Philo, I, I, I don't know what they could see. I know what I could see. I know what I, you know, was experiencing down there. Uh, they they didn't call on me necessarily for any insight, and I would have been I would have just relayed, hey, I can't see the dis any better than you can. I can tell you more of what's maybe happening on the ground, but I couldn't necessarily see the disc any better than the next guy. So it was uh, it <laughs> it was pretty crazy. And then Tim says that they barely had coverage of eighteen, and that becomes another point. Is like, do, at that point, does the media supersede? in any way, the idea of uh, of that cancellation or of that delay for the next question. I don't know. Spock says, next question, do you ever see a sanction glow round on DGN on a safer course? I mean, it's just so tough to, it's so tough to film, that being the number one problem. Like, I, I'm not fancy with all the technologies, but I don't, I don't really see that becoming a thing. There's some courses that are lit up, you know, where you're not really even playing glow. You're playing night golf, but it's lit. Like me. Ayo. Just kidding. But I don't, I don't, I don't know if you're going to necessarily see that as a thing. I, I think it'd be kind of frustrating and it probably would be really difficult to commentate, to film, to be part of. Then you do have to worry about potential safety issues. T depends on the type of course. There's so many things that could factor in, and I, I don't know that people, I don't know how many people would get all fired up for it. Dan says, I think it was handled fine under the circumstances. Uh, like I said, certainly unique. Uh, someone says, Ian and Philo seemed to not realize they even played 17, and they were heading to 18. Yeah, I mean, just think about it. Hole 17, one of the most diabolical, you know, event-altering holes on the course they shot one under. There was three pars and a birdie. Like, <laughs> if you asked most groups at the beginning of the weekend and say, hey, here's your deal. You're going to go through this round. Or you're going to go through all three rounds. There's going to be three pars and a birdie on this hole. How do you guys feel about that? I think quite a few groups would be like, yeah, that's cool. So the fact that it happened in the dark, maybe not too crazy. Uh, Dust says, yo, I'm always down to guest host, by the way, buddy, if you ever need someone. Uh, guest hosting wasn't my issue tonight. <laughs> Single hosting was my real issue, Dust. I appreciate it. Uh, I I was all lined up. I was excited to do everything tonight, and then uh, technology somehow failed me. So, uh, just so you know. Also, Dustin says, I also found out I'm hosting Tournament Central for Worlds and USDGC slash Throw Pink. Awesome. I might be part of those, some of those, in some capacity. I don't know. Should I go on strike? I don't know how that works. 
How do you feel about the group time warning? Uh, the group time warning by an official. I'm good with it. Truth be told, there's some of our players, one of which was supposed to be a special guest tonight. I don't know who's got what stopwatch or who's operating what, but there's still times Gannon's not within his 30 seconds. The question is, is it, uh, well, one of the questions is, is that once around or is that 32 times around? Is three times acceptable? Is 23 times acceptable? All I know is he's not within 30 seconds. Gannon, if you're watching, <laughs> you're not within 30 seconds. I think Aaron Gossage sometimes pushes that as well. Um, I, don't, I don't know about the other two on the card. If I, I don't know how the warning went. Again, I wasn't near it for, in that particular case. Uh, but Gossage, by the time he goes through, sometimes a pump fake and a diselection and a couple other pump fakes, I think he too probably pushes your, your 30-second Again, you can have that argument in on, on another way in another day as to whether or not that's should be 30 seconds. But as of the rule right now, uh, I think you see both of them often challenging that 30 seconds, if not going over it. So long story short, if there, if or however the warning came down, I personally am all about it. That's just me. But I also am pretty biased because I play really fast and I edit disc golf videos. So I really like to see... Uh, quick play. Glow coverage seems gimmicky. Uh, he needed IT tonight. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, I think the group got warned twice about slow play. That sounds about right. I think it was told working with you and Brian for Worlds. Yeah, Dust. Um, excuse me, I don't know if my nose itches. Uh, working with me and Brian for Worlds. Um, I think I'm on the MPO side of Worlds and... Brian's out in the field for the FPO side of Worlds. I think that's an unofficial uh, look ahead. Uh, Calvin's phone with the classic alarm clock. Gavin B, Gavin Babcock, isn't particularly fast either. Uh, I'd buy that for a dollar. Um, I counted 13 on coverage for Burr. Uh, Macbeth playing in a charity event but taking it easy. Really? That's interesting. I did not. I didn't know of such scenario. Uh, Jeff Jeff was stealthy about his warnings. I was holding the scoreboard and I didn't notice any of them. I'm uh, talking about Jeff Chiqua, the PDG official. And there, there is, you know, there's a friendly warning uh, or an unofficial warning, probably that can happen. That you, I think happens from player to player often. And then there's maybe an official warning that happens. Sometimes gets then carded, put on a scorecard. And then, of course, sometimes after that can be a, an official penalty and an assessment of that of that nature. Um, I'm not sure how any of it went down. I wasn't right there for them. Uh, I would like to know more, but I don't. Yeah, I think the PDGA Ace Race would be fun to watch. If Carl Childs was calling on them, so play everyone would be heard. Either way, I look forward to it. Figured you'd be. Uh, I was fired after the preserve. Ooh, awkward. Um, awesome to get asked to work on such massive events. Going to do my best. Uh, did Germ play above his rating? I mean, I think you could check the math on that, but that sounds... Uh, I'll check it right now because it's pretty easy to do and I happen to have it up. Sounds like he probably did because he's rated 1021 and he absolutely did because he shot a 1051, 
a 1028, and a 1025. Now, a 1028 and a 1025, that's literally less than a stroke better than what he was rated. So that's not wildly insane. I mean, if, if they have him projected at shooting a 10 under and he goes out and shoots a 9, or vice versa, I should say, he projected at projected at shooting a 9 and he shoots a 10, you're not like, oh my god. 10.51 certainly was a very solid opening round for him. I mean, that's 23 points above his rating. That's anywhere from 2 to 4 strokes, depending on the course. So yeah, certainly a, a good weekend for Germ. But yeah, 3 rounds above his rating. 10.21, 10... Excuse me, he's rated 10.21, so he shot a 10.51, uh, a 10.28, and a 10.25. Edging out James Conrad by a stroke. And then last weekend's winner in Cole Allen. Cole Allen finished in 14th, along with Aaron Gossage uh, and Bradley Williams. And then right below them, Simon Lazat. Uh, Dust, yep, you're a little late to the party. Yuli also trending upward lately. Yeah, Yuli had a great week. I, I don't. He's talked about it. Uh, I don't think anyone would deny that whatsoever. Uh, you're, this up-and-coming Yuliberry guy has potential. He does, but, I mean, it comes down to that consistency. I mean, what did he post on instagram he, he didn't cash in the first you know he didn't he missed the cash six or eight or ten times this year i mean he's clearly had some struggles uh waco austin music city blue ridge champions cup played again otb uh J jonesboro otb beaver state all didn't cash um preserve didn't cash and then these last few weekends um you know, at, at the European Open, he finished 32nd. Then he won the Bradley Center Battle, which is a C tier. He won $177, had 95 points. He couldn't have beat more than. I'm gonna guess. I'm gonna guess the division was six. Let me click on it. Oh wow. Oh okay, it was a one round flex start. That's why. Uh, <laughs> holy sh. Right. It was a one-round flex start. There were 19 in the division, so the entry fee, though, must have been like $20, $25, $30 at max. He shot <laughs> he shot a 49 to win. That's 10-13 golf, so he shoots 11 under to shoot 10-13. Mark Ward is who I'm looking at. Mark, I'm, I'm, I'm calling out you, buddy. Mark Ward <laughs> shot a 10. Shot one worse than Yuli. Okay, that's a thousand three rated round. Mark Ward's rating is nine zero eight, so Mark Ward shot ninety ninety five points above his rating. Nice work, Mark Ward. So yeah, so Yuli won that, um, and then Ledgestone he finished in fifteenth, and then this last weekend in fourth. So nice work for him. Um, I gotta be tough to play super well and do all that work for Jomez every week regarding Yuli's record. Certainly. I mean, I, I don't think there's any doubt. I and mean, you could say the same with Germ. You could say the same with Sexton, clearly. Like, things have gotten probably more streamlined to where they're more comfortable and things are getting easier for sure. Uh, you know, somebody, somebody made a comment, though, on Saturday night about germ and and jomez getting their stuff edited and then him getting to bed late and i think 
you know, German having a good weekend, he, he's teeing off at two, two o'clock or three o'clock or whatever time it is. And I'm not suggesting that everyone, you know, is on a stay up late and sleep whenever you want schedule. But he was fortunate that even though maybe the editing got going late, uh, he was also getting some pretty late tea times. Uh, so that's very nice. I think it's more demanding when you're up till midnight or one or two and then you have a you know 10 or 10 30 tea time that's that's not like having a three o'clock tea time yeah mark ward certainly getting it on which which year did yuli do real well at worlds uh 2000 2010 or 13 it was in indiana in indiana and i was just starting to vlog could have been both years uh 13 not as 10 10 10 was the year where he was really really in consideration and in the hunt for the for a longer period of time uh if i recall and then was he in the finals or near the finals in 14 2014 uh he was if he wasn't in the finals he was pretty darn close to it you guys making me just click on stuff this thing's getting off the rails real quick but 2014, I'm going to say, would have been, yes, yeah, Spock. That was at Lemon Lake. And I'm just thinking about previous videos I did. That's that's how, funny enough, I could put that together. Uh, in 2014, yeah, Yuli finished fourth at Worlds. Uh, Macbeth and Waisaki went into one of the greatest playoffs of all time. Uh, Nate Doss right there in third. And then rounding out the card was Yuli in fourth. He was in the final nine. So... All right, a few more questions, and then we can start to wrap things up, even though I'm, I'm really, really surprised and, and happy and thankful that so many of you guys, even after two failed streams, jumped on, somehow still got here, even though I'm giving you nothing fancy uh, except for my phone camera. So hopefully everything is working all right. The difference in... Uh, wait, let me read that score. Uh, the difference in winning score for MPO and FPO is pretty stark on this course, and it isn't a big distance challenge. No, and, and honestly, uh, they play different some different tees, and they play some different pars. So it's it's not nearly a fair comparison at all. You know, you think of hole 18 as just one example off the top of my head. They play the same tee to the same pin, 650 feet. The women played as a par 5. The men played as a par 4. Uh, but then you, you rewind two holes earlier, and hole 16 is 969 feet played as a par five for the men and a par five for the women it feels about right for the women but it feels almost a little soft for the men maybe um then another par five hold number eight is what's five something six something um yeah i think it's still only 585 or something like that and uh that's played as a par five for both the men and the women that that that's a that's a, a a debate worth having. Mm. Shortest hole on the tour and on the course, hole 11 plays as a par 3, obviously, for both. But um, is it 30, 40 feet shorter for the FPO than it is for the MPO? So anyway, uh, those are just a few of the things that jump out. I, I try not to think too much about if they happen to be playing essentially the exact same course with the exact same pars, then maybe. But... For the most part, not so much. All right, yeah, we're here in my room, uh, in my office. This is honest to God. Uh, first of all, I'm not going to go on too long with it, but second of all, 
Uh, this is the most random, random of smatterings. I, there is zero thought as to some stuff randomly got in here. Some stuff needs to go. Most of it needs to go. and needs to just get tucked away in other places. However, one that is exciting that's off in a distance. I got a lot of Skyline stuff still. Uh, they just did such an amazing job. That was Discraft. Thank you so much. Tons of beautiful Skyline stuff last year. Um... Last year, we had a turtle. So this is last year's Skyline. Yeah, yeah. It says right there, 2022. Uh, and this year, I did a penguin. Oh, here. Here's one. This is a glow. This is a glow buzz. Uh, color glow buzz. Look at that. Mm, beautiful. So there's the penguin. And then the year before, I did the turtle. Some beautiful buzzes. Anyway, color glow buzz. This is one of the gems. I, I don't talk about this often. Yeah, this is the after show. Anything can happen. Uh, this is one of the gems that I'm, I'm truly excited about. This is from the mid-90s, and I got this at Worlds. This is one of the few discs that I genuinely go out and collect. And this is a, an Ontario Rock. And it's an old, old school PDGA logo. Super old. And most of these were Cobras from like the 90s with this stamp on it. And so people will often, because it says Ontario on the back, on the back, people will often be like, oh, I've got, I've got an Ontario for you. And they'll show me that stamp. I'm like, mm, it's probably a Cobra. 10 out of 10 times it's been a Cobra. Except for this one. I saw this one at Pro Masters Worlds and sure enough, it was a rock. So they did make some. Awesome. Love it. So I sna uh, snagged that up pretty quickly. Uh, there's nothing that's going to really like impress you guys, so to speak, because uh, this isn't meant to be impressive. It's just it's a random smattering. If you don't think I live that double G jerky life, you're silly, because I do. What is that? Smash Crack Pepper. <laughs> Teriyaki. Mm. They don't pay me to say that. All right, what do we got here? These are Test Flight uh, Venoms. Does that sound right? I bought a bunch of these. I was going to sell a bunch. I never did. Now I've got a ton of, not a ton, a handful of test flight venoms. I think that's what this is. If somebody makes me like a silly offer, like I, I would entertain it. Um, I don't know, prototype, something or other. What is that, a 12? 12 speed? What is that, a Hades? I can't even keep them all straight. This one's cool. Um, I was just obviously talking about the skyline with the penguin this year. This was a raptor that glows in the dark. What? Yeah, raptors. I've got glow raptors. I don't think that one's going to... The lighting's terrible for this. Glow raptors. I've got a few. There was very few that I could get my hands on. Uh, some passions... Again, I bring these in because I, I think about taking pictures and selling them, then I never get around to it. But I really need to get to like thin this herd. This one's not going anywhere. Uh, I had her sign it immediately after. I bought a whole bunch of them. Uh, Kristen Tatar signed. World Champ. Grace. What? Cloudbreaker. Eh. Okay, everybody. Like those. Some more bu buzzes. Uh, what else? What other randoms? Oh. Uh, first run, what, Zone OS? Eh. 
Some more buzzes, some of the cool other cloud breakers. Some of these were just absolutely gorgeous. Let's see what else I've got for randoms. Again, some, most of these were pictured. I often will take the picture and then I don't get around to posting them. Some more passions and cloud breakers. These are, were unique as well with my Skyline order this year. More with the penguin, but these were Lunas. And you don't see a lot of, I feel like you don't see a ton of like custom stamped Lunas that aren't Macbeth related. Yeah. Yeah, uh, a couple more buzzes, a couple more zones, so on and so forth. So some pretty stuff there. Um, another Luna. How many of you guys remember these? Like the original Crystal Flex zones from like 2015. Like almost like puddle topped. I think that's what the cool kids say, puddle topped. I don't know, makeup stuff. Um, a couple of old school. These these were old school. Now. These, uh, Discraft bar stamped, uh, buzzes. Mini buzzes. I feel like these were super limited when they first came out. Oh, uh, well, I don't think they make them anymore. Uh, here's a cool one. <laughs> I probably have showed you guys this one. Oh, this is a terrible after-show video uh, audio uh, for you guys if you haven't cut this out already. But now I'm showing you uh, the Page and Grady Shoe Mini from October 25th, 2019. Uh, this is, I think, a Mini Sheriff because she was sponsored by Dynamic. And I can't find it. It might be, I think it's a Mini Sheriff. And then they individualized the names of the guest. If you can't read that, that says Kobe Geis. Kobe, I still have your mini. I have one that has my name on it, but um, Kobe like left his behind. So that's silly goose, so I grabbed it. Uh, and then there's a bunch of other Frisbees. Let's just grab a couple more, and then we're going to call it on this, on this fun tour. Woo! I don't remember where I just got this. But it's another Ontario Rock, pretty much mint condition, and eh, not quite mint. This is from the 90s, probably like 94, 95, 96 era. I would throw this in a second. I won't because it's in is damn good condition, but I would, like, this is going to join the other 400 of them. Boy, I wish I could go on. Yeah, DX plastic. Yeah, it was the only plastic <laughs> for many years. This is a unique one. How many of you guys know about these? A VIP X harp? What? Somebody said that there was like literally only a few hundred of these maybe made. I think I got this when I was at the Toonie in 2019 in Finland. Is that where I got it? I'm pretty sure I did. I think these are insanely limited. Or at least were at the time. If there's more that have come out since then, they were imposters or something. I don't know. Um, or duplicates. Or not as cool. But, um, yeah, these 
at the time were the very first, maybe they're just the very first ever to come out. And I don't think they're that common. Uh, here's another random that somebody almost bought. 2015 Ledgestone Crystal Z-Buzz. No, Crystal, Crystal Flex Buzz SS. Just a few more adjectives in there. Crystal Buzz Flex. Crystal Flex, whatever. You know what I mean. Are we in the after show? Yeah, we certainly are. And here's a really unique one. This is uh, a Glow Am Disc Golf Championships, Am Nationals. And if you're kind of old school and you've been around buzzes forever, you've already seen this. They did a limited run of those. I've got a ton of them. Uh, and then also, here's a 2015 Ledgestone Glow FLX Buzz, Flex Buzz. All right. There's lots, lots of other random, random Frisbees back there that just, quite frankly, we could go on for hours and we're not going to tonight. So with that, I think I'm going to call it. Somehow it still was an hour and 22 minutes. Uh, four rounds coming up for you guys for the Great Lakes Open. Uh, obviously, FPO in the morning, men in the afternoon. I hear there's different pins for a few of the holes. And I feel as if I saw that some of the pins are actually alternating in terms of you'll see a pin in one spot for two of the rounds and that same hole will have a different pin for a couple of the other rounds. So that should be unique and exciting. We've seen some of that changed in the past. Yes, uh, as Dustin said, I think Brody put it on Instagram today as well that uh, hole 18 looks different. It's now a par four. I love the change. I hope it plays better for the FPO division specifically just because it was such a terrible FPO hole um, just because it, it just couldn't really be birdied and something needed to change whether it was the T or the pin and it sounds like there's going to be some changes for both divisions so I'm I am definitely excited to see that as well uh, I and I don't like to be critical so to speak of events but when you're commentating and you're or you're on the course for a number of years and you see a particular hole like never get birdied like hole 10 from the fpo division at idlewild like without being a jerk i really do want to push them to either find a new tee or a new pin for hole 10 at idlewild for that reason and and they know i'm not ripping on them or the event or degrading the event at all but the the numbers now have proven and i know i'm a course designer I know there's something that goes into creating a new T or a pin and challenges that go along with it. So I'm not being flippant about it, but three or four or five years in with no birdies on that hole tells us that it's not playing uh, how we want it to play for the FPO division. MPO division, it's kind of a bonus birdie, and I'm, I'm good with that. The FPO division, zero birdies in five or six or seven or eight years there tells us that it's just it's truly not a, a par three in that position for them so i think that is uh needs to be looked at ray says you got to do more streams like this where you just go through all your old cool plastic i've got a hundred ideas with a hundred videos and a million ways to go about it and it's just a matter of hours in the day but you're exactly right there could be an entire series there could be a documentary there could be a lot of stuff uh, about a lot of things that could happen with some of the plastic that cycles in and out of this room and even the reasons why it comes in and out of this room. I have I have 500 discs in this room and it's nothing compared to the other 10,000. So it's it's absolutely crazy. 
Uh, Ledgestone gets the Aces, Idlewild gets the Eagles. Idlewild needs a bit work on uh, it. It's Miller time. How many 500 par threes at D-Glow? Uh, a lot of those are at least downhill, I feel like. But I haven't, I haven't looked at the caddy guide. I'll look at that tomorrow. Everyone, thank you. Thank you for coming along for another silly ride on a Tuesday night. Sorry that we didn't have Gannon on. That's 100% my technology fault. But thank you so much for being here. I need to get back more on the Disc Golf Guy uh, drop zones. Maybe my crazy schedule in in <laughs> uh, in Bend over the next few weeks will make that happen, or maybe a Worlds or wherever, uh, and we can have topics, we can have show and tell, we can we can just have jerky jerky trials. Uh, we could, there's a lot of different things we could do. We could talk beverages, like founders. Mm, there's some other tasties. I'm gonna call it. I appreciate each and every one of you, as does Johnny V. We missed you, Johnny, kind of. Podcast 467, I'm sorry if this was a complete mess for anyone that <laughs> was in for a wild ride. But uh, I love you guys. I appreciate you guys. Thanks. Like, share, subscribe. Next week we'll have double giveaway. I can't find any plastic to give away, otherwise I would just do it myself. <laughs> okay, that's rude. Uh, but we'll find some goodies to give away. And uh, we'll continue to uh, thank you guys and appreciate each and every one of you. I don't know how to end this thing. I'm going to click some buttons. Save highlight? There was no such thing tonight. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you. Uh, I'll be wearing sunscreen in the booth this weekend. And uh, you guys keep it safe. That's Smashbox 467. And I'll see you next week when you step inside the Smashbox. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.